Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, we're back in Ireland to be joined by Christopher Shum, the MD of Motus Learning. Christopher, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you very much. And thanks for having me. I'm chuffed to have you. If I've done my research correctly, which I hope I have, uh, I believe that you grew up in Kilkenny. I did, yes. Um, don't everybody seems to hate Kilkenny bar people from Kilkenny because of the hurling past. But yeah, I grew up uh, born and bred there. I've been a season ticket holder for Kilkenny for probably the last 15, 16 years. So you're safe on this podcast. My parents are from there. Um, <laughs> what was it like? And I know later in later years, you went into uh, De La Salle College in, in Dublin. But what was it like growing up in any favorite childhood memories of your early years? Um, being honest now, looking back to my childhood, I had a fantastic childhood. Um, particularly growing up in Kilkenny, it's all hurling, mm. hurling, which suited me. I was a big, uh, big, big athlete when I was younger. I played five or six sports. Um, and then just to correct you, in school, I didn't go to Dublin. I went to Waterford, Del Salle College. Okay. Um, I'm right on the border of Waterford, Tipperary and Kilkenny. So I got a nice um, mix. So I went to school in Waterford, um, but I would have grown up a lot in uh, Carrick and Shore, so in Tipperary and then also in Pilltown. So would have hurled with, uh, with obviously through Kilkenny clubs. So um, yeah, it was mm. a good mix. Um, I'd have no complaints, um, no difficulties, no major difficulties anyway. Just the normal. Nice adolescence i suppose sweet well before we move on from your early days the question i ask it to everyone is is there any standout person or there could be multiple people parent adolescence relatives teacher who you believe had a massive impact in the person you've turned out to be today um yeah so sorry one massive uh point i should raise is so i'm actually half chinese so my mother is irish but my father is chinese mm-hmm. uh, and I always thought that had a big influence on me growing up. Um, my mother is from the middle of nowhere in Mayo, and then my father is from Hong Kong, which is, of course, a metropolis. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference between the two of them, I actually found the contrast very, very useful because I'd visit both a lot. I'd get a lot of exposure of basically real rural Ireland when I visited my mother's family, but then when I visited my father's family, it's constant go, go, go in Hong Kong. Um, and I thought that was a nice balance to have. Um, I appreciate both. I like both. But the other big thing then is the two different cultures um, in that, obviously, traditional Ireland, everybody knows everybody in, uh, in the village or in the area, while in Hong Kong, nobody knows anybody. So you'd say hello to everybody on the street in Ireland, but in Hong Kong, you wouldn't say hello to anybody. So it was really, really different. And they had um, each culture's values differed massively as well. Like I know, um, like Asian cultures are generally interdependent. So it's kind of like, it's not about the individual, it's about the community you're a part of. While in Ireland, it's more Westernized. So it's more about the individual and like what you can do uh, individually. So I think uh, experience in both of those cultures from a young age, I thought was really, really helpful for my development in general. Very interesting. Wow. I, I, I never know that. My, my best friend is from Hong Kong. He's been out here since he's been like 12 years old. 
and we were going to go over last year, but we, we couldn't make it. So I'm hoping to get over at some stage. The the best city in the world, in my opinion. Yeah. Okay. I'm a big, big fan. It has everything. So I like it. I'm looking forward to seeing because I've because I've travelled a lot. I've been to you know United States to Australia to Canada to Iceland to all Dubai to Belize, all these places. So um, and Hong Kong has always intrigued me. Um, where did the interest in psychology come from? And and I say that because for the listeners, you went to the University of Calgary and did psychology. Then UL from 2012 2016. Then you went to University of Edinburgh and did psychology and sociology, and that now on oh no, in University of Edinburgh, I think it was human cognitive uh, neuropsychology, and now you're in UL doing a doctor of psychology. So, where did the interest in psychology come from? Um, yeah, so I was really lucky with this, and I can actually pinpoint this exactly. Um, I studied history for my leave insert, and for some reason, I don't know why, but I came across a psychology study known as the Milgram study when I was maybe 15. Uh, this study was basically trying to understand why Nazi Germany happened uh, before World War II. And basically the study was, there was people in white coats, they had participants come in and they told the participants, basically, you're going to ask somebody in the next room questions. And for any of the questions you get, uh, they get wrong, you have to shock them. So give them an electric shock. And every time they get another one wrong, you have to increase the voltage of the shock. Now, this, of course, was all fake. There was an actor in the other room. But what the research showed was that um, the participants were willing to consent to increasing the voltage to the top amount to the extent that the people in the other room were screaming in pain and sometimes not even responding by the end of it. But people still did it. Um, there was a likelihood that people still did it, which I found absolutely terrifying. But it give an explanation behind why Nazi Germany happened that when somebody is in authority, the researcher in that case, people are still more likely to, um, to follow what they're, they're saying to conform. Um, and that really, really just interested me that you can actually look, there's so many different variables that influence human behavior. Um, and from that day on, from when I read that study, I knew I wanted to do psychology um, and I haven't regretted it since. So, what was it called? The Milgram effect? Yeah, the Mil yeah, the Milgram effect. So Milgram was the name of the researcher. Um, this would have been done, I think, in the 1980s or 1990s. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, just because I'm I'm curious of looking it up myself um after this podcast. You've got me interested now. Um a couple of things I want to touch on. Some we might edit out because I don't know if it, I, I know you have a great podcast, but you're not always on the podcast. And there's some topics I want to touch you about the podcast. First one being go being um a few months back, you shared how you're you're going to be, and you may be doing it right now, analyzing cortisol levels via saliva samples. So, one, if you're have you if you've started that, one, how's it going? And two, can you explain to people what cortisol is and uh, what what impact it has on people? Where if your cortisol level is high compared to if it's low? Yeah. Um, okay, so I'll answer the first question. Uh, I'm happy you asked me because my supervisors will be happy because uh, I should be talking about it as much as possible. Um, so I know we haven't even spoken about this yet, but about three years ago, um, I developed a mental health education workshop for children, um, mm -hmm. specifically children and adolescents aged 10 to 14. So that fifth, sixth class age. 
Yep. Um, we did a service evaluation in 2019 with UCC and it showed that the, uh, it works basically. It improves emotion regulation, it improves psychological well-being. Now, what my PhD is looking at is basically the long-term effects of that. So we're trying to see basically if these children do the program, will it help them transition into secondary school? Because that transition into secondary school has been known to be extremely stressful um, because it's the first mandatory transition. Like they have to leave sixth class and go into secondary school. And I suppose the best way to describe stress, one of the main indicators is unpredictability and secondary school is unpredictable. So um, we're looking at basically how um, the program affects that transition into secondary school. Now, the stress or cortisol aspect, the biggest, part, the biggest problem with um, psychological research is that everything is self-reported. So it's kind of asking children or even adults how they're thinking and feeling in a given moment. But the problem with that is somebody will be thinking and feeling different uh, on a different day. So it's not objective, it's only subjective. And that's why it's difficult to measure and it's not always accurate. But the reason why we're measuring cortisol, and this is really important, is it makes the research objective because somebody can't like change how uh, their cortisol levels are from day to day. It's going to be consistent over time. And so it's a physiological response and um, it's basically your body's response to a stressful situation. But we all need a certain level of cortisol. So there's this concept known as eustress. Um, of basically we need a certain level of stress every day mm -hmm. to motivate us to do something um, and this is a big problem among children and adolescents as well they're so exposed to stress is bad that they think they shouldn't have any stress at all um, when in reality they need a certain level of stress stress is important yeah. uh, and so cortisol basically is just the uh, little substance uh, the hormone that's basically released into the body when we're feeling stressed I think I've answered your question okay there. You have. Why do you think that the youth of today are not feeling stress? Um, I could throw it out there. Uh, is there a rise in, in uh, snowflakes? Oh, yeah, 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 100%. Um, so this is a complicated uh, question because there's so many different variables. But mm -hmm. one of the variables, and this has been shown by research, is there is overprotective parenting at the moment. Parents are trying to protect their children from absolutely everything so that when they are eventually exposed to a difficult life event, they essentially crumble like a snowflake. That is mm. a factor, but it's not the cause. There's loads and loads of factors um, that I could go into. I don't know if you want me to. Sure. Well, if you give us one or two, I'll tell you where my brain is at the moment. My brain is going, if Christopher can pull this off and prove that there's a correlation between A and B, that, that transition... I can't imagine you not like receiving awards and just the company exploding because it's backed by data. So that's, that's where my brain was going when you were talking. And I know this is primarily an entrepreneurial podcast. So like mm. I do point out, I'm in this rare position where I'm in a field where research is everything. It's not just about selling the product. We need to prove it works because um, as a scientist, like I'm obviously in the world of entrepreneurship, but I see myself as a scientist before. I see myself as an entrepreneur and yeah. for me it doesn't matter if i sell sell this program to millions and millions of schools if it doesn't work if it's not proven to work then i haven't done my job successfully so this is why i've chosen to do the phd i want to prove that it does work um that's really really important to me 
well, it, it makes perfect sense. And there's a company that I'm involved with that they they basically, sales training, they basically studied, you're familiar with LinkedIn as a company. They studied the sales reps in LinkedIn for a period of six months. And then what they did was they came in and trained them on a technique called the upfront contract, which is, I think, at the start of the call where you set the agenda, your expectations, my expectations, next steps, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they ran a study of, what their performance was like the following, you know, six months after they had implemented this. And the results were astronomically like tremendous. And they could see that there was a direct correlation between the success of a sales rep uh, who used the upfront contract compared to one who didn't use it correctly and that consistent reinforcement learning. So then they went to other companies and said, here's what we've done for them. And it's also backed by data. So that's what kind of went through my head when you were saying, hey, look, I'm going, I'm trying to prove that, you know, there's, there's meaning behind my madness here. Yeah, exactly. Um, because as well, like organizational psychology now is becoming extremely popular. Um, but I think the next step now, because I experience this on a day-to-day basis, is to weed out the people who are making claims about stuff with no data to back it up. I think that's mm-hmm. a really big issue that isn't uh, addressed enough. Um, like our biggest competitors now when we're going into the schools is athletes and influencers like people who are basically giving advice based on how famous they are. Um, and the problem is the advice they're giving, it might do wonders for them, but just because it works for one person doesn't mean it's going to work for everybody. So it's really, really important that this information is backed up by research. It's essential. I, yeah. And there should be some level of accountability there. I was talking to Paul Farrell, the MD of Virgin Ireland, and he has this frustration that is, Virgin as a as a TV broadcaster are held to this certain level of accountability and trust between them and the customer, and if they break that, they get punished, whether financially or their viewing job or a combination of both. Whereas the individual influencer can make up statistics and not receive the same level of punishment or having to walk that straight line as others, and hopes that in the future there can be, you know a similar thing brought into individuals. If they're going to talk, if they're a, a fitness influencer, well, well, how are they right to talk about psychology? And if they are, there's a dangers and et cetera, et cetera, of that. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Before we go any further, why don't you tell people what is modus learning? Okay, perfect. Um, big question, but I'll do my best to summarize. <laughs> Um, so we basically go into primary and secondary schools and we carry out mental health education uh, workshops. So we have a facilitator and assistant go into the school and um, we do workshops to teach children about cognitive behavioral therapy, mindfulness and neuroscience are the three main aspects, but we teach them lots of other things like stuff like sleep education, like diet education, um, like how to develop their social skills, empathy, so on and so forth. Um, and basically we've been running it now for about two to three years. We've completed our workshop now in over 125 schools. So the majority of these are rebooking each year as well. Um, and yeah, so we're continuing to grow and starting. So our program specifically for sixth class in primary school and first year in secondary school, but we are now piloting in September, a secondary school program, which I'm very excited about. So specifically for transition years, and what we're going to be teaching uh, them children about is career guidance, basically using psychology techniques to improve their learning, stu- um, how they learn and study, 
but also basically how to understand what happens after they finish secondary school. And then what I'm really excited about is we're teaching them about sex education. So we're basically linking up the sex education side to the mental health aspect, because as you're probably aware, sex education is essentially non-existent in Ireland. Um, But people don't realize that sex education and mental health are very closely linked because a lot of mental health issues can stem from a lack of information about sex. So Mm -hmm. basically um, tying them in together and teaching them about that. We're generally um, young psychology graduates, the majority of our employees. So as a result, we seem to connect better with the kids as well. Um, We're not somebody coming in basically telling them who's like 30 years older than them, telling them you need to do this and that. We're not that much older than them. Um, Like the majority of our staff are under the age of 30. Um, And the other big, big thing and probably the most important aspect of it all is we've integrated gamification into our workshops. So it's not just coming in lecturing them. It's a fun day for the kids. So like when we come in, basically, they look forward to us coming in um, and we help them learn the information through games and activities rather than just telling them the information. Um, Yeah, Uh, yeah, well said. I love it. As I've mentioned to you in the email before you came on, um, the audience is entrepreneurs, MDs, founders, CEOs across Ireland, UK, growing audience in America. Anyone interested in knowing more about what it is you do, there's links below to both your LinkedIn page and Modus Learning and all everything else we mentioned as well. So if anyone is, is interested, just go to wherever you're listening or watching this and click the description field and you'll see links. Three months ago, you praised the UK on how their government perceives mental health. In response to COVID-19, they've prepared a mental health and recovery action plan. The Irish government uh, at this particular time uh, still operating on a reactive approach. What is your, uh, um, I guess, what's the ideal scenario that they could be doing differently or what could they be doing differently is my question. Yeah, um, so this is actually uh, extremely black and white in my opinion. In the UK, so I've worked in the the NHS in London um, and I've had loads of friends who've worked in the HSE. So I know a both, um, both perspectives. In the UK, they have something known as IAPS, which is, stands for Improving Access to Psychological Therapies um, so, or Psychological Services. So what this means is basically, if you feel you have a mental health issue, if you're struggling with maybe uh, depressive symptoms or anxiety symptoms, you can directly ref- self-refer yourself to a psychological service. And these psychological services are basically not always clinical psychologists, but extremely experienced and educated people um, Mm -hmm. basically go straight to. In Ireland, there's no middleman. So what happens basically is if you feel like you're having depressive symptoms or anxiety symptoms, you have to go to your GP. Your GP has to make a decision on where he should refer you or she refer you. And eventually when they refer you, um, they basically, you're put on a waiting list and nothing for for months, even though you might be extremely struggling at that time. And the process is so much slower as a result. They have done research on IAPS in the UK, and not only does it improve the mental health of the the country much and far more, but it also saves the government money. So it is rational uh, um, from every aspect, but it's still not being implemented in Ireland. And it's such a massive frustration um, for, I'd say, every clinician or every psychologist working in Ireland. It just doesn't make sense that it's not there. 
So I think that is the best place to start. I think mental health services will be mass was be massively improved if they put funding into setting up this service, this uh, IAP service, and then basically it would take the pressure off and it would also save the government money. So I don't know why they're not doing it, but well, <laughs> something that you've spoken about on a podcast before, and I'll link it. You know, this is just a comment to kind of. Pro- promote the podcast is and i say this because there's an entrepreneur podcast that we're talking on now um sleep you've spoken about the main cause of bad sleep the guest that you had on spoke about blue light filters aren't as great as they made it to be and it's something that's promoted heavily in a number of the industries that i've tipped in and out of um on the mind yourself podcast which is a podcast that you're you're you, you have it was noted that melatonin which is what makes you sleepy um is reduced when you uh bring in the these blue light glasses or blue light filter on, on your phone and also at a reduced when your melatonin is reduced uh it increases your risk of cancer and also can evoke emotional responses as well um in, in terms of uh not getting enough sleep um so very very good podcast i'll leave a link to it below in terms of the main cause of bad sleep because it's a topic that i am friends with a lot of founders and entrepreneurs consistently go back and forth on some people will uh, brag about the fact they slept for three hours and managed to work for the entire day others will uh, say that they slept for nine hours and they're they're happy as larry so uh, i just wanted to insert that there because through my research i found that that podcast was incredibly interesting thank you empathizing can we practice and become better at empathizing? Yes, 100%. Um, so based on my past education, I think it's important first to emphasize there is a chance um, some of your listeners might have children with autism or they might be autistic themselves. So I think mm-hmm. it's important to address this. There are actually two types of empathy. There's biological empathy and then there's also cognitive empathy. So biological empathy are those kind of mirror neurons that you're born with that you have the ability to detect how somebody is feeling naturally. But cognitive empathy is basically learned uh, responses. So for example, learning um, that if somebody is showing that that type of facial expression, this is the emotion they're feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think differentiating between that is really, really important because there's an assumption, particularly among um, people with special, special education needs and autism, um, they have no empathy. They can't develop empathy when that's not true. In reality, um, somebody with autism obviously finds the bio- biological empathy extremely difficult. Um, yeah. They have um, symptoms known as alexithymia, but they can learn the cognitive empathy. And this is really, really important. So you can teach cognitive empathy. Like for example, you can teach facial expressions, you can teach um, verbal tones, you can teach um, body language. There's lots and lots of ways people can empathize um, that can be learned. And I think that's an important message, which is what we talk about um, a lot in our workshops as well. Absolutely. A common question I ask people is around the common disbelief or uh, commonly held belief that they passionately disagree with in their industry. I'll slightly rephrase it for you. And is there anything that you see that potentially concerns you about the future generation? um there is one thing that i find mind-blowing that's not being taught in schools um so i'm just going to talk about this one is when we go into schools um well firstly i'm just going to refer to 
generally children of the age of 10 to 14 know three emotions. They know happy, sad, and angry. And mm-hmm. that's a disaster. Um, like there's 126 emotions and they're only being able to generate three. Wow. So I don't think there's enough emphasis put on emotional vocabulary about being able to understand your mind better and the emotions that your brain are trying to send you. Um, I, there's research showing that children with lower emotional vocabulary are more likely to have more mental health issues. So I think that's a good start. But the even the more important point is the majority of children that we go into, and we're nearly on, we've nearly worked with 10,000 children at this stage, is they don't know the difference between thoughts, emotions, and behaviors, that they're three different things. Um, that basically thoughts are, 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 is language we use in our head. Emotions are basically generated from our brain or from our limbic system and behaviors are things that we do. They can't tell the difference between the three and that's really, really important for their mental health that they can do that because people underestimate the power of our thoughts. Like we're thinking all of the time when we go to bed, we're trying to stop ourselves thinking. When we wake up in the morning, we're thinking straight away. But we have this little voice that's constantly with us in our head and that has a big role to play in our mental health, but it's children aren't even aware of it. Um, like some children don't know what a thought is. And I think that that's disastrous. And this is the basis of CBT. It's changing how you think about a situation to change how you feel. But some children aren't even aware of their thoughts. And I think that's crazy that um, that's not being taught in schools. I think it should be mandatory, but it's not. That's another question I ask people. If you had the decision to add a subject that was mandatory to schools, you've basically told me what your answer is. What's every, the favorite part? Go on. I was just going to say every child will be taught about cognitive behavior therapy. The, the big, big role that's how you think um, has on your mental health, basically. That would be it. What's your favorite part of what you do? That's an easy answer. Um, the children, undoubtedly. Um, I've always preferred working with children over adults because, from my experience, adults are stubborn. Um, adults think a certain way and it's harder to change how they think, but children are generally um, an open book. They're willing to learn um, nine times out of ten. And um, if you, So it's not just about trying to prove your right to the child. It's about basically finding a learning method that suits them. And when you get that and when that information clicks with them, that is undoubtedly the most satisfying moment, I would say. I don't know if it was you on the podcast, that podcast that you host, but there was an example given about a fire and that there's many different ways to put out the fire. But if you if you don't know what the what started the fire, you could put the wrong way. Out. And that's kind of like what you're leaning to there a second ago. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I know you're studying at UL, uh, Doctor of Psychology. Um, is there any books or podcasts or mentors that you go to to leverage to continue to improve? Yeah. Um, there is a book that I read. Uh, I've read it now three or four times. I'm planning on reading it once a year, every year. Um, and that book is Rob Sapolsky. Um, so he is a psychology professor at Yale. And his book is Why um, Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. What the book is about is about stress. Um, But why it's so relevant to anybody is it basically explains why stress is relevant to everything, essentially. Um, Like it really, really ties it. It's not a mental health book. I would actually say it's more of a physical health book 
So it's basically how stress impacts your body and your mind. And he's also just such a good writer. So it's a really, really enjoyable read. Um, that's probably my go-to book um, because I think if you can learn how to understand stress and also how to manage it, I think that's a big, big uh, win against um, achieving positive mental health. If I've understood what you're saying throughout the podcast, and I'll be in agreement with you, if it is right, that you don't want to completely eliminate stress. You want yeah. stress in your life. Yes, 100%. Yeah, it, and like it has so much more benefits than you think it does. It's not just about feeling good. It's like it has a positive effect on your immune system, your digestion, uh, your heart, health. Um, it has loads and loads of positive impacts to have a certain level of stress. We need to constantly be progressing and progress. progression is stressful, so... I've got 15 minutes after this podcast. Three of them will be used on Amazon to buy that book. Um, final question for you is, I'd like you to imagine it's the year 2030. And we're looking back on the last decade. You can answer this personally, professionally, a combination of both. But what would you like to be looking back on? Um, I would like to, modus-wise anyway, I would like that we were normalized in education in Ireland and the UK that basically schools were starting to integrate social emotional learning but not only social emotional learning but a high quality of social emotional learning in schools um, I would like to provide more career space more job opportunities for psychology graduates because this is not this is something we haven't discussed psychology graduates at the moment are so hard working so good with people and so intelligent and they can't get work it's um it's a broken system this goes back to what i was speaking about with that there's not enough job opportunities because ireland haven't brought in these uh, low intensity psychological services but um i've had so many friends so many colleagues who are so talented at their jobs but they have to leave just because there's no jobs available well so, this was always a big, big thing that I wanted to do. I wanted to provide more employment opportunities for psychologists. Um, and then finally, professionally, I would, I would like to successfully finish my PhD, uh, publish a few research papers, and basically demonstrate that this is the right way forward. Basically, if we can educate children on how to take care of their mental health, then you prevent problems before they happen. Christopher, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. I've had a few guests on who are uh, putting their foot down and want to leave a, a mark on uh, early childhood education and adolescence education. There's Wendy Okay in Cork. There's Anna Carmody in Carlo Offley. And now there's Christopher Shum from, I'm going to say Kilkenny. Um, but uh, it's, it's, it's all under the age of 30. Amazing to see what, 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 what people are doing. Um, but for now... Uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. I hope you're supporting Kilkenny on Saturday come the Leinster final. Um, I've got my tickets, so I'm looking forward to going. But uh, thanks for being my guest today. No problem. Thank you very, very much. Beautiful morning. the sun of my morning, baby.